Good morning, Real Life. How's it going? We are in week four of the ABCs of Financial Freedom, and we have talked about A, attitude, B, bondage, C, choice, and today, D, decision. And so we are um, going to talk about what it means to make a decision today, and we're going to use a passage out of 2 Kings chapter 5 that will give us six lessons that we can learn on making decisions in our life, regardless of what kind of decisions. They just happen to be very applicable to the conversation that we're having this morning and this over throughout this series. Now, that being said, I know that we are touching a nerve uh, because number one, anytime that you start talking about money, you start talking about something that's very near and dear to us. Number two, because of the amount, the sheer amount of reaction, holy moly, uh, it's been very interesting. It's been very interesting. And, you know, things range all over from, nope, I do it my way, um, you know, the toddler response to God's word, um, to, uh, you know, well, if you understood the thing, blah, 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 and they wax, wax eloquent about it, you know. Uh, I mean, I had somebody that uh, said to me, they said, well, you know, the tithe really wasn't about money. It was about grain and grapes and olives, olive oil, those kinds of things. And so it really doesn't apply to money. That's about 65% correct, 65.2% correct, um, because yes, that is true, it is about those things. It's about gold and silver as well. It's about all of it. It's about everything that we bring in, a tenth of it belongs to the Lord. That's what the tithe is. That's what the biblical, direct biblical instruction is about that. Like there's no, well, it's about this, but it's not about this, which is, a bummer for farmers. If this is actually true, it's a bummer for farmers, but it's great for us who don't have grain or grapes or, you know, just that's really convenient. Just not biblical. And, and so, you know, I always know, I can always tell when we are touching a nerve, like when we're, when we're stepping into a world that's like, God is like, you need to have this conversation and it's going to be hard. Um, the abuse conference, another example, I got to tell you, like already, not a ton, but people are reacting like, how dare you even broach this subject? How dare you? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the church, including ours, does a really bad job of dealing with it. And we're going to fix that. We're going to fix that. So yeah, we're going to deal with some messy places in people's lives from, from the end of the abused as well as the abuser. Like, uh, we're, this is a tough topic to broach. It is. It's hard. And it gets nasty. And wounded people speak from their woundedness. And when they speak from their woundedness, they invite you into your own woundedness. And so there's going to be lots of really hard conversations and people attacking and all this stuff. We're having the conversation anyway because it's the right conversation. We will give oppressed people their voice back because that's what God wants us to do. So if you don't like that, I understand it's dangerous waters. And with all the empathy in my heart, if this was your problem, 
you could get over it. Because we are having that conversation. Now, that being said, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with that information, which leads us back to decision. Second Kings chapter, or chapter 5, we're going to tell the story of a guy by the name of Naaman. Let's read. Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Okay, wait a minute. God used Naaman, not a follower of God, to give victory to Syria, not God's people. Like, that ought to be a conversation you have in your care group this week. He was a mighty man of valor. What a cool thing to be said of us. He didn't walk with the Lord, but was a mighty man of valor. Love that. But he was a leper. Now, the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. <laughs> I love that line, thus and so. Um, Maybe we'll use the NIV next time. <laughs> and the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, which is about, if, if so a talent is 20 years wages. I had to figure this out on the fly first service, so I'm with you now. Just for round mouth, math, let's say you made 50 grand a year. That's a tw 10 talents is a million bucks. A, one talent is 20 years wages, so it's 10 million bucks. 10 talents is 10 million bucks. That's a lot of money. And 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. Why 10 changes of clothing? Well, because goods is kind of still a currency in the ancient world. We talked about this last week. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Okay, now think about this. There's this prophet living in Samaria whose name is Elisha, and Naaman finds out that he can cure him of leprosy. So what happens is the king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel with all this stuff and says, hey, cure my guy of leprosy. When this letter reaches you, you know, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So the king says to the king, hey, king, cure my guy of leprosy. Well, that's a problem because the king can't cure anybody. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive? Now, think about this for a sec. <laughs> this feels very dramatic, right? Clothes ripping and, <gasps> you know, it feels very dramatic. Cloth is way too valuable in the ancient world. It's not like that. It's really more like they would tear it like an inch, is it. I mean, they tore their clothes, but it's just like this much. They'd be like, <gasps> like, that's it. That's all. That's all it was. It sounds much more dramatic than it was. Am I God to kill and make alive? This, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider 
and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. So what, what he thinks is, this guy sends me his chief military official and tells me to cure him of leprosy. I can't do that. So what he's trying to do is pick a fight, and he needs a reason to pick a fight. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? So dramatic. Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now picture this. Naaman is kind of a big deal. Uh, He's a very high government official. And he comes with his entourage. And they are in front of Elisha's house. In front, they pulled up to his door. And Elisha sends a messenger to him. That's like texting him. Hey, I know you're right outside my door, but uh, here. Have a good day. Really important official. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. Yeah, he was. And went away saying, behold. I thought, because that's what you say when you're angry. Behold. That's what I tell my wife when I get angry. Behold. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of, his, of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. That's what he was hoping for. He's like, all he had to do is walk out of his house and go, frit, done, leprosy, done. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? And the answer is yes. The Jordan River at this part of Israel is not much wider than an oversized ditch, and it's muddy and nasty. Like, and, and it's full of catfish. You know why? Because catfish don't have scales, which means they're not kosher. So guess how many catfish get eaten in Israel? None. And here's the thing. When you get in water where there's a bunch of catfish, guess what they do? They nibble on your toes. It's nasty business. And like everybody that goes there is like, I want to get baptized in the Jordan River. No. No, you don't. You do not want to do that. Swim over the top of my forehead. So Abana and Farpar are, in fact, better rivers. Why this nasty, muddy ditch with catfish in it? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now, think about this. He's a leper, which is a terminal disease in the ancient world. Very easy to cure today, but it's terminal disease in the ancient world. And Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. This is what God's telling me to tell you. Go wash in the Jordan River. All you got to do is dip yourself. And he's like, all he had to do was come outside and wave his hand. That's all he had to do. Why is he doing this? And furthermore, there are much nicer rivers back home. Why can't I do it my way? Which is totally different than the conversations that you and I have with God, right? 
See, here, read, let's read on. But his servants came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, wash and be clean. They're like, hey, we get that you're mad, but guess what? You don't have to be a leper anymore. Don't forget that part. Like, you could experience the blessing of God. Like, yeah, I get it. You're mad. It didn't work out the way you wanted. You have to do some things you don't want to do. But guess what? If you just do it, guess what would happen? You wouldn't be terminally ill anymore. So there's that. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What's that, smooth as a baby's backside? Then he returned to the man of God, and he, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, behold, I know that there is a, no God in all the earth but, but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. See, here's, here's the thing. If you're going to make a decision in your life, and what we're talking about, the kind of decisions that we're talking about isn't one great moment in time where it's like, I said no to the ice cream, right? Like not for dinner last night, but tonight... It's a new day. Um, I will say yes. The, it's, it's not like a one moment in time decision. It's a decision that's going to be an ongoing decision with lasting effects in our life. This is going to be a decision to rearrange the course of where we're going. This is consistent. There are these principles, these lessons that we need to learn that are consistent about being able to sustain change, whether we're talking about money or exercise or weight loss or job or education or child rearing or anything like that, these lessons from this passage will be valuable. So I want to give you six lessons from this passage. Number one, no one is immune from problems. Like Naaman is a big deal. He's a big, high official, rich, important. When he walks in the room, everybody's like, oh, it's Naaman, oh. Women swoon at the very name, right? Hey, this is a big deal. Guess what? Still has problems. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. At the end of the day, we will all face problems. And it's a reality of living our lives. It's just true. No one's immune from them. And I know that when we look at other people, we make all kinds of assumptions about them. I had somebody tell me um, like two weeks ago, they were like, you look like you have the perfect marriage. <laughs> well, as perfect as perfect gets um, in the world of, like people, are, they, we make all kinds of assumptions about people, about their lives and must be so nice to be you. And you know, my life is so hard, but because what we have a tendency to do is to compare the worst of our life with the best of everybody else's. Well, that's a losing proposition every time. Here's the truth. No one is immune from problems. Everyone has to make decisions in the face of problems. It's just the way it is. Next, next one, number two. God will use the most unlikely of sources to give us what we need. It, I, I love this, uh, this reality about the story of Naaman. Like, it's the Jordan River. Even, 
even in Israel, there's better options for water. Like, go up to Anon near Salim. It's beautiful and green and lush and clean water. The Sea of Galilee's gorgeous water. I mean, it's beautiful. No, no, nasty in the desert, Jordan River, muddy with catfish in it. Why that? Part of it is because our ability to experience the blessing of God is directly tied to our, compa- our capacity to be faithful to him. God will use the most unlikely of sources. When you choose to honor him with all parts of your life, especially your finances, God will, he'll bless you from the craziest places. From the craziest places. Number three, the answer to our problems is often not what we want to hear. When you go, man, I wish I was thinner. Oh, I got an option for you. Stop eating McDonald's. Well, maybe I wish I was not thinner. <laughs> like it's just, a, it's like, we, there's no secrets. There's no secrets. There's no pill that you're going to take, right? Like we all know, we all know what we're supposed to do. I got I to gotta confess to you. So you know that like 2015 was the year of the diet for me. And so kind of since that time, we've been trying to make better options and all that stuff. And. Uh, like two weeks ago, I, I had two Egg McMuffins for breakfast, and I had two quarter pounders for lunch. <laughs> it was a good day. And I <sighs> went home that night and was like, Bleh. I do not, I regretted it. I think I had a piece of broccoli for dinner. Totally redeemed myself, right? But. The reality is the reason why we're in the position that we're in is often because we've made choices to put ourselves there. That's true in our finances. And we've talked about this already. Like your finances is not an income problem. It's a spending problem. It's always a spending problem. We don't want to spend within our means. And that's a problem. And so the answers to our problems are often not what we want to hear. It's often not what we want to hear. Number four. We'll be tempted to come up with our own plan. Like, God, I know, I know that this is what you said, but I got an idea. I got a really good idea that if we would just, if you and me can make me partner on my side, it would work out really good. Uh, Probably not, probably not, right? Here's what I know. Anytime that I'm negotiating with God, I'm probably going to be on the losing end of that. It's just just a a reality of our faith walk, right? If I'm trying to negotiate with God in something, I'm probably going to be on the losing end of that. Uh, By the way, Proverbs 16.2. Put Proverbs 16.2 up there. All of a man's ways are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. I love that verse. Because the truth is, tithing as a practice is not even about us giving our 10% and how we're giving it. It's not about that. It's about us being willing in our hearts to say, God, you are more important to me than anything else. That's really the conversation. Number five, wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. Always. Wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. And I would highly recommend that you surround yourself 
with wise people. That being said, the Christian community has a weight of responsibility that as we're discussing what it means to walk out the Christian life, regardless of the topic, whether that's um, working and do we work too much, do we not work enough, um, whether that's family and child rearing and marriage and how we become better in that or it's finances, regardless of the topic, we have an obligation to give biblically founded advice on how people should do the things that they're asking us about. If somebody has a parenting question for you, you need biblically grounded advice for that. If somebody has a finances question for you, you need biblically grounded advice for that. It's an obligation for us because wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. Now, the tension is when we try to make it like we're putting you under the thumb of this mandate because it's not... Like even the tithe, which is a direct command of Scripture. It's a direct command of Scripture. But it's not there to put you under the thumb of the rule. It's there to help you be able to maximize what God wants to do in your life. Like, why would you hold that back? That should be as simple as putting on clothes before you go out in public. It's, an easy, it's easy math. Do you want a little bit of God's blessing? Or do you want all of God's blessing. There's an easy way to get there. I should say it this way. There's a simple way to get there. It's not always easy. Uh, number six, God's way is always, always, always the right way. Amen. And I got to tell you, I have tried really hard in my life to find loopholes because I have been, in, in all of my life, a negotiator. Like, finding the loophole of, I want to find the hole in the argument. I want to find the way around, the, the new way to see things, the twist, the, the, the interesting idea, the, the insight. Like that, I want to find that piece. The, everybody else says this, but this, look, look. I want to find that, Right? People go, oh, you're so insightful. I know. <laughs> it's the gift of God, right? Here's, a, here's what I can promise you. Anytime, anytime that you try to negotiate with God, you're not going to win. Anytime that I'm in an argument with God, and believe me, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, I still have moments where I'm wrestling with God. I still have them. What I know is, in the end, I lose, right? No matter how good of a wrestler I am, in the end, if I'm wrestling with God, I lose. And, and that's, that's good. That's okay. And I feel like that's part of how we stretch and exercise our faith and undergird and support our faith is in those wrestling matches. So that's not evil. I'm just telling you, if you're sitting in this position where you're wrestling with what to do with your finances right now, because this is a series that we're in, I, I want to invite you to the reality that God's way is always the right way. So wrestle, but in the end, God's way is always the right way. And the more that we can line our life up with God's way, the better it's going to go for us. It all begins with a decision. It all begins with a decision. The decision to do God's things, God's way, with God's stuff.
I got to tell you this. Here's a funny, funny story. Between the services, I had a kid come up to me and go, okay, I have a question. In your sermon, you said, and I was like, really? Let's go. In your sermon, you said that it's all God's. And I said, yes. And he goes, well, then why does God make us give it back? And I said, because that's what he said to do. Because it proves that you recognize who it is, whose it is. It proves that you know that God has the right to do with his stuff as he sees fit. And he was like, okay, that's pretty good. And I was like, I have quelled the curiosity of 11-year-old. Mission accomplished today. Mission accomplished today. I, I, just, I just wish, like it's so simple. It is really so simple. It's not always easy. And I get that the, the implications and the fingers in our life is, is complex. But stewarding our finances God's way is always better. It's not just right. It is right, but it's always better than anything I can do on my own. It just is. And it's the only place in scripture that he says to test him. Now, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And this is one of those moments that I I love. We do this every week. If you're new with us, we have an open table, which means that if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, then we would invite you to partake in that. But um, I want you to, um, while while they're getting ready to pass that out, I want you to pull out that pink card that you got with your sermon notes today. You should have gotten that in your sermon notes. And here's what it says. Stop playing games with the money God gives you. And then there's two boxes to check. One is I will start tithing faithfully in real life to real life and give offerings above as the Lord blesses. And the second one is I'll continue to tithe faithfully. Wherever you're at on the category, check one of those boxes. And then sign and print your name and date it. What this is, this is not like a financial stewardship campaign commitment. It's not anything like that. This is you writing down, here's my commitment to honor God in my finances. Now here's the deal. If you're like, no, I will not do that. It's okay. Uh, you can still put a card in a box so you feel like you don't look weird, but uh, we're going to put these as we go out today. You can put them in the wooden boxes. Just drop it in there. Um, I, I mean, I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel like you don't have a place here because we love you. It doesn't matter. You're welcome here. We just want you to understand that this is a tension for us because um, I recognize that for me as a pastor, standing up here saying for you to give is like a husband telling his wife that she needs to be a better wife, right? Like, of course. Of course he would say that because he receives the benefit of that. Um, and I said at the beginning of this series, like my hope, my prayer is that we can experience an increase in the giving of our church. I do want to see that happen. I do want to see more ministry happen. I do. Um, the way bigger issue for me though is, and hear my heart, the way bigger issue for me is you're robbing yourself of what God wants to do in your life in a good way. And I loved what Bill said in his, in his video, Bill and Jones' video, when he said, we're really good at counting up the cost of giving, like measuring the things that we'll have to sacrifice to get there. Well, I don't get this, I don't get this. What we're not good at is we're not good at being able to measure the blessings that we rob ourselves of when we don't give. 
And I would really invite you to consider that. Let's work through some implications quickly. Number one, every decision has consequences. Every single one, both good and bad. Every good decision has both good and bad consequences. Every bad decision has both good and bad consequences. We get to pick which set of consequences we want to live with. We get to pick. Good news. Also bad news, right? Because <laughs> we also have to live with, we, have to, we get to live with the results of our decisions. That's good news. But the problem is we have to live with the results of our decisions, <laughs> right? So choose good ones. Choose good ones. Next implication. Even if you avoid all decisions, you will still face the pain of life and the pain of poor decisions made around you. Making a sound biblical decision means your painful consequence will at least have a purpose. You are going to experience the reality of pain in your life. You are. You can't avoid it. Even if you're like, well, I don't want to experience consequences of a decision, so I won't make any decisions. Um, first of all, you'd be a real joy to be around. Um, secondly, you're still going to get curveballs in your life. Tragedy's still going to happen. Mom's still going to get sick. Uh, you're still going to lose a job. Things happen. I mean, life happens. There are these painful situations. But when you're make, ex experiencing these painful tragedies because you're walking with the Lord, at least your tragedy has a purpose. If, it, if you're not walking with the Lord experiencing this tragedy, then it's just tragedy. Next implication, anytime we make a decision, there will be detractors and distractors. Like that, it's good use of alliteration right there. Detractors and distractors. Anytime that you make a decision, there will be people who will try to pull you off of it. Whether that decision is to read your Bible every day or that decision is to uh, work out or the decision is to eat healthy or the decision is to deal with your finances well or the decision is to parent your child in a certain way. Regardless of the decision, every time you make a decision that's going to change your life and the trajectory of life, there will be people who will try to get you off that decision for multiple reasons. Some because they feel like your self-righteousness is shining the light on them and they're like, oh, you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. I just chose to not let my child throw a fit. Right? Like, the, I mean, there's all kinds of, you're judging me. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. People will be like, if you make a commitment to get up early and read your Bible every day, they're going to be like, no, just stay up and talk with me. Stay up and talk with me. Now I'm going to bed. Oh, you're saying I'm not important anymore? You don't love me. You're judging me. Self-righteous. No, I just want to get up and spend time with the Lord. I like, why is that a big deal? Why can't you celebrate that? Right? Anytime we make a decision, anytime, there's going to be detractors and distractors. Surrounding ourselves with people who will help us uphold God's standard in our life is crucial for our success. And this leads me to my last implication. <clears throat> The biggest obstacle to sustained proper decision-making is my own discouragement. I get discouraged with the trajectory that I'm on because I'm not where I want to be. And I get fixated on the end and not the journey. And I miss and I get off. And we must have people around us who will keep us focused and encouraged. You can't do it by yourself. You can't. I can't. I can tell you this. If it wasn't for my 
close guys, my community, my people that speak into my life, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be married today. I wouldn't be in the ministry. I wouldn't be able to experience having this wonderful conversation with you that you guys love so much about money. Like I would miss it all. I would miss it all. The biggest obstacle to sustained proper decision making is my own discouragement. So I've got to have people around me. that, would, And that, that's at the guts of why we do care groups. So that you have, we will make a ready-made group of people for you that will help hold your arms up when you get discouraged. I love taking communion every week because what communion does for us is it's an opportunity for us to say, you know what, I've heard what you said and I'm wrestling with it and I have a hard time with it, but I want you to know I'm in. I'm in for this, whatever it looks like in my life. And so this is a reminder to us that Jesus took bread on the night he was betrayed and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And he said, this cup is a new new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, give us the courage to take you at your word. And Lord, thank you for the growth that's brought about by faith. And Lord, I just want to say thank you for um, your word and how it guides us even into places that we don't want to go. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.